You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan. Broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI, and we got a very important topic today. You know, the world of investment and financial fraud, the latest scams, we live in a digital world. What does that expose us to? How can we secure our online transactions? How can we protect our identity? How can we screen investment opportunities that come across our computer? All very important topics. The Federal Trade Commission data shows that consumers reported losing nearly $8.8 billion, with a B, $8.8 billion to fraud in 2022 alone which was an increase of more than 30% over the previous year. Consumers reported losing more money to investment scams, more than $3.8 billion, than any other category in 2022. How do you know when you've encountered a scam or your identity is at risk? Today, uh, we're privileged to have Rachel Camden. Rachel is with the Tennessee Department of Securities. Or, or excuse me, I'm sorry, Rachel Cardin. She's with the Tennessee Department of Securities. Good morning, Rachel. Welcome to More Living. It's great to have you with us. Good morning, Jim. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Yes, absolutely. And again, it is Rachel Cardin. My apologies for that. Rachel, tell no us how you got tell us how you got invested or um, interested in the investment world, and then transition into investor education. Well, I um, I really love this question because my answer is always um, by accident, but (laughs) not really. Um, I once marked on a a grade school question that I wanted to become a teacher when I grew up, and then I really didn't think much about it again. Um, In junior high, on an aptitude exercise, they actually told me I should consider a career in TV or radio. Um, And then after high school... I know. After high school, I actually chose the communications field. I graduated with a degree in public relations, um, and then I ended up in marketing for a financial institution, and I was doing exactly all of those things combined. Um, And while I love communications and education, finance and investments really hold a special place for me because it was just so foundational early on in my career, and I love the structure and predictability that finance has, but there was just, there was so much to learn, not only for myself, but to learn so that my team and I could educate others. And then after um, almost 20 years in the financial institution industry, I came to the state to build an investor education program. Um, And this program focuses on the importance of a really strong foundational financial knowledge and how important it is to invest and invest early for those younger folks. 
Oh, yeah, time value of money, compound interest. You know, that's a very interesting story because uh, my undergraduate degree, Rachel, was music education. And I love to teach and speak. And then I went to get my MBA because I wanted to go into the music business. And Uh I took a six-hour finance block. I guess now they would call that a collateral or I'm not sure what they'd call that. But uh, I just kind of fell in love with investment finance. But that's kind of funny because there's kind of some parallels there. <laughs> so know, you're the di- so it makes complete sense that you're the director of investor education for the Department of Securities. Talk real quickly, give our listeners an idea. What does the Department of Securities do as a function of state government? Sure. So um, the Securities Division, we're housed within Tennessee's Department of Commerce and Insurance. That's one of the larger state departments. Um, There are several different sections in our team that focus on securities registration. So securities is another term for investments, right? And unless an investment is exempt or excluded, you have to register the security in the state before it can be offered or sold. And then there's industry. Oh, go ahead, Jim. Well, I was just going to say that's a very important point because when we talk about investor scams, we hear it seems like almost on a monthly or even more frequent basis of things going on around the country, and a lot of it deals with unregistered securities. Absolutely, yes. That is one of the biggest red flags that you can look for, um, whether or not an investment is um, a legitimate offer is whether or not it's registered and if it's not registered is it exempt absolutely now talk about your the the, with what you do with investor education yes and then also in in the department there's industry registrations it's not just the the actual investments it's broker dealers it's broker dealer agents investment advisors investment advisor representatives, and those folks have got to be registered and licensed to operate in the state of Tennessee, which is another red flag that you can potentially look for if somebody's practicing and they are not registered to practice. Um, We have an anti-fraud and enforcement task force. Those folks are focused on preventing fraudulent and abusive practices and any other violations of the Tennessee Securities Act and rules. And then uh, finally, the section that I'm here with you all speaking about today is the investor education portion. And that is where we really focus on educating and promoting financial literacy to all Tennesseans. And this includes, you know, what investments are, how they operate, and then how to prevent and protect yourself against investor fraud. So let's dive into some of the challenges. You know, we live in more and more in a digital world. We get so much stuff from online sources. How can we ensure online investment advice or, or really anything that we get online is sound and not not some sort of a scam? Yeah, absolutely. So we live in that digital age, right? Everything is at our fingertips. It's more accessible than ever before, which is a really wonderful thing. But, you know, that also comes with inherent risk. You know, you've got so many financial apps and websites to choose from. Um, Makes it very easy to sign up. You can begin investing immediately. I always share, though, with investors that no matter the site or the app, you want to always use caution and do your research. Are they licensed to practice in your state? Uh, If so, do they have any open customer complaints? 
Have they recently been in the news cycle for any negative issues or, or other reasons? And, you know, for for our division, we offer a free tool called Broker Check. And you can go online at Tennessee um, Securities Division, that's tn.gov slash securities, and you can look up these broker-dealers, investment advisors, et cetera, and you can see if they have any open complaints against them and how long they've been in business and if they're actually registered. Yeah, I was going to say, I guess broker check is, is really a great place to go. And then, um, you know, for any kind of potential online investor fraud, I guess the Better Business Bureau is a pretty good resource of information as well. Um, Absolutely. You know, for, mm-hmm. Yes. Now, with, with everything online these days, most of us access a lot of our online investment accounts, our banking information. A lot of what we receive about our financial situation is electronic communication. And we do a lot of electronic transactions these days. So, and, and, and really, it's, I was just thinking when I was prepping for this show, Rachel, you know, the E-Trade baby, I don't know how long ago that was when they had the E-Trade baby saying it's as easy, you know, even a baby can do it. I guess, you know, that was yeah. a long time ago. It seems like that's been yeah. years. Um, so what about online? What's the security of these transactions and electronic communication? Well, to that I say, it's it's as secure as the platform that they're using to secure it, <laughs> and that's you know I think kind it's of a great innocuous. Word, yeah. <laughs> it's an innocuous answer, but you know it really is the truth. And so, you know, when you're doing your research about whether or not the app is legitimate, you know, check their terms and conditions. What is their privacy policy? Are they going to share your information? What is their third party protection policy? And that means if you are hooking your bank account to this app so you can fund your investments, or maybe you're connecting it to your PayPal or, or your Venmo. You know, how strong is the security and protection in the event of a breach? Um, you know, can they access your um, bank account information? And so I know no one really likes to read those terms and conditions, but it's an important point um, to caution against. And then also, you know, what are you using to secure the app? Is your password one, two, three? Uh, C-A-T, well, that's not a good password. You need to make sure that it's something, you know, complicated for others to guess and then easy enough for you to remember. Absolutely. And then, of course, you mentioned, you know, there is a lot of regulation. So for firms, whether it's a broker-dealer, which is the FINRA world or the uh, investment advisory world, of course, Brogan Financial is a registered investment advisor, uh, which gets the Tennessee Securities and then also the SEC. But there are a lot of regulations in terms of the security protocol that firms have to use to protect information training that has to be undergone in terms of what those firms uh, do to protect clients. So there is, again, that's people that, you know, firms that are registered to do those things. Yes, and that's important, too, because if they are a registered, legitimate firm that has your best interest in mind, that they are going to be adhering to the rules and regulations that the state has, and they're going to be adhering to the rules and regulations that the SEC has. You know, some of these firms are only state registered. Some of them are registered with the SEC due to the amount of dollars that they have under management. Um, but if they are a legitimate firm, they're following those regulations, they're following those updates, and they're adhering 
to those policies. And that's really someone that you want to do business with. We're visiting with Rachel Card, and she is the Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities, and we're talking about fraud. We're going to get more into fraud, scams, identity theft. When we come back, I want to talk about scams and imposters, both imposters of government and imposters of, of businesses. So stay with us as we talk about investor fraud right here on More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan, and we're talking about investor fraud, investment scams. We're going to get into identity theft a little bit later in the show. We live more and more in a digital world. How can you protect yourself? How can you be aware of scams? Uh, we just see, it seems like every week we're reading about different things around the country of how people have been scammed. We're visiting this morning with Rachel Carden. She's director of investor education for the Tennessee Department of, of Securities. And Rachel, uh, let's talk about imposter scams. I guess first, let's kind of dive into scams where the entity or the person is impersonating a government agency. What are the, some of the top two or three government agencies that typically uh, people are imposters and try to scam people? Well, you know, there's a lot of different of, of these imposter scams out on the market, but you see most of the time it's the IRS impersonations. They're pretending to be that tax entity and try to get your login information, try to get you to click that link that's been spoofed. Um, and it's really, it's just it's social engineering at the end of the day, whether they're impersonating the IRS, whether they're impersonating your um, financial institution, they're really just trying to gather your information so they can use that and steal more of your information and eventually access to your account. And I know Social Security is also an agency that typically gets a lot of imposters. And I just want to kind of throw out there, it's very important that if you haven't done this, even you, even younger folks, that you set up your account, your Social Security account online and every once in a while go in and check your Social Security statement and see your earnings record and your earnings history because if you're younger especially or even if you're say in your early 50s and you're not really thinking about it much what you don't want to do is get to social security age and somebody has already an imposter has basically gone in there and and stolen your social security identity and they're drawing benefits and that's a, a really big thing do you do you have any comments you'd like to add to that either on social security or i guess medicare would probably be another area of fraud yeah, you know, you do see that trend in, in Social Security and Medicare. And, you know, we hear a lot about, you know, the adults aged 60 and up. You know, we hear a lot about those scams and how much those folks are losing. But you're absolutely right. It's affecting the younger generations as well. 
And so to that I say, it's all about, you know, making sure you're in touch with what type of online accounts you have, what type of online presence you have, and, you know, scanning your credit reports and things like that for any kind of information that you don't recognize. And then in terms of imposters, I guess we get imposters that are imitating businesses as well. And it's kind of interesting because in doing some research, I saw it was like 20 or 25% of all business imposters are, are impersonating either Amazon or Apple. Can you talk, uh, mm-hmm. can you just touch briefly on imposters of businesses like that? Yes, the retail market is another really large scam area as well. And, you know, with Amazon, with Apple, with Apple, it's usually a fake receipt or a fake charge. You know, hey, do you recognize this charge? Um, Please log in and give us your information. We're actually trying to help you with this scam. And they're not trying to help you. They're trying to socially engineer you and steal your information. And what I caution with these retail emails, there's always something in the email that should tip you off. So either the web address is not recognizable, it doesn't look like, you know, Amazon.com or Apple.com. There can be typos, grammatical errors. If you are looking at an email, if you hover over it, that email link may pop up and then it says it's directing you to a different website. So if you do not recognize a charge, don't click on the link that's in the email. Go out to the actual site, go to your login, and look at your actual history because that's really all it's trying to do is just social engineer, steal your information so that can it can be used in a different way. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I've even seen examples where a web address looked exactly the same and the only thing different was the font of the, of the A, the letter A. And mm-hmm. it was actually mm-hmm. a different web address. So I think one of the things, and when we've talked about phishing scams, phishing, of course, with a PH, when we've talked about that in the past on this show, uh, or when you get phone calls from a credit card vendor or from your bank, it's so important that you, you know, uh, if they contact you, they shouldn't be asking you to identify yourself with your confidential information. So it's always a good idea to hang up the phone and either, or, or in this case, log off to that email and as you said log on to the site that you know is the legitimate website or call the number for the credit card or the banking institution that you know is the legitimate number yes absolutely that's so important and coming from the financial institution industry these are all of the things that we would recommend um, to protect yourself whether it is you know calling directly into that source or logging directly into that source and a lot of these emails can look very official. You know, they've stolen the branding, they've impersonated the oh, yeah. font, the, the style, and they can look so convincing. But just remember, it's really easy to fake things online. And if you're not 100% sure about anything, there's nothing wrong with that. Don't click on it. Go to the account that you know is legitimate. Go to the website that you know is legitimate. You know, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about all these and, and you mentioned earlier the applications that we can download on our phone. And a lot of these applications, these financial applications, will aggregate data from multiple sources and put it all in one application. It'll aggregate our investment accounts, our banking accounts, our credit card stuff. Uh, I, I, you know, you, you mentioned, is the app legitimate? Is it not? 
how can we navigate that world a little bit better? Absolutely. So um, also from a marketing background, the marketers love to know as many things about you as we can because that helps us, you know, market a better product to you. The downside of that, however, is that these apps are tracking your activity. They're aggregating them together. They know that you've looked at Amazon. They know that you've been on Facebook. They know that you're shopping at Apple, right? All these things are talking to each other. So you actually have the power if you're using an iPhone to ask these apps not to track your activity. It's an option that you can take within each individual app. A lot of times when you're downloading it, it'll even pop up and prompt you to select it as part of the setup process. If it doesn't, no worries. It hasn't gone away. You can go into that app and adjust those privacy and security settings on your own. And it goes back to what I mentioned earlier. Nobody wants to read that fine print and those terms and conditions, but that information is in there. And it is legally required that they um, share and disclose how that private information or non-private information even is shared with other apps and websites. And you can choose to opt out of that um, and do that on an individual basis with different apps. Um, You can browse the web. If you're a a Google Chrome user, you can use the incognito tab. Now, if you are on a work account or a school account, you know, your um, IT network still may have access to that browsing history, but you can use that um, at home and to keep that information from being tracked as well. You can make sure that you're clearing your cookies. Um, on a regular basis and not the fun kind of cookies we eat, but the cookies that are those data bits, right, that are stored. Um, So, yeah, those are all small things that you can do, but they add up and have a really big impact when it comes to web security and safety. We're visiting with Rachel Carden this this Saturday. She's the Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities. When we come back, I do want to get into different – current trends for investment fraud and scams. Um, I'm also going to have our dollars and cents segment. In a recent survey, one quarter, 25% of pre-retirees age 55 to 65 are talking about needing to pushing back their projected retirement date, and another 15% are not sure if they'll ever retire. Why is that, and what can you be doing about it? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. As you listen to News Talk 98.7 WOKI, we're with you every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. And you can catch all of our shows podcast on our website. You can go to broganfinancial.com and click on radio. Today's show will be up by Tuesday afternoon. You can also go to your favorite uh, store. You can go to the, the, the iPod store or whatever you want to download. Um, our 
podcasts. We've been visiting with Rachel Cardin. She is Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities, and we're talking about consumer fraud, identity theft. We're going to get back to, to Rachel in just a moment. Before we do, however, it is time for Dollars and Cents. Want to be sure you are getting the most out of your retirement? For all the years of your retirement? That's the primary goal of More Living with Jim Brogan and our Dollars and Cents segment, where we provide you with an important financial tip that will help positively impact the quality of your life in retirement. And now, here's Jim with this week's Dollars and Cents tip. According to a recent survey, an advisor authority survey from Nationwide released this week, 25% of pre-retirees, those that non-retired investors age 55 to 65, are pushing back their retirement date, and another 15% are, are not sure they'll ever retire. Now, there are four major reasons why are people pushing back their retirement date. Number one, concerns of inflation. Number two, fears of economic recession. Number three is market volatility. And number four, income taxes. And I'm kind of reading between the lines and assuming that's the, the likelihood of increasing taxes in the future. And of course, we do know taxes are going up in 2026 because the the secure, or excuse me, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires at the end of 2025. So what does this really tell us and what can you do about it? Uh, the first thing that jumps to my mind is inflation for for years is 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 often the number one killer of retirement income. And I call it the cholesterol, it's like cholesterol. It kind of sneaks up on you. You know, inflation is not like a, a stock market that goes down 30% at one time or 40% at one time. It just slowly erodes at your income and you wake up one day 10, 12 years into retirement it's like, where's my income? I, I don't feel like I can, I've, I can pay for things. So it's a silent killer of retirement income. And in the long haul, uh, is definitely one of the biggest retirement income risks. But it always has been, even with a 2 or 2.5% two inflation rate. And of course, inflation has been much higher than that of late. But even with a 2 and a 2.5% two inflation rate, income in retirement has got to increase over time. So that so I think it, it's it, it's really come under our focus of late because of what's happened in the last year year and a half with increasing inflation rates, but we know things ebb and flow. You know, inflation in the in the May report that came out this month is is four percent now for the last twelve months. Uh, you know, it got way up. I believe it was up over eight percent, but at any rate, it's down to four. I do think the Fed's going to have a tough time getting it down to that 2% target, at least in the near term. Now, we'll just have to kind of see what happens. But inflation, you know, over a period of 20 or 30 years is probably not going to average 5%, but it's probably not going to average 1.5% either. So you always need a plan to increase retirement income. Now, then when we look at some of the other things, like the fear of an economic recession or stock market volatility, I mean, one thing that I feel like we can be sure of with, with the markets is that they're uncertain, they're unpredictable, they're volatile. We don't know what's going to happen. Markets typically have booms. Markets also have busts. We have economic 
growth, we have economic recessions. Uh, I believe very fundamentally that we don't know when one cycle is going to end and another one is going to begin. So really when it comes to all of these concerns of why people are pushing back their retirement date and their concerns financially, it comes down to having a good financial plan and strategies to address these risks. How does your investment allocation need to change as you get closer to retirement? How do you fund retirement income in the short term for some security but in the long term to fight inflation? What is your social security strategy? How can you reduce income taxes in retirement, especially in that sweet spot between retirement age and age 73 or 75 when you have to start taking distributions from your retirement accounts? So having a good financial plan that you then that is fluid, that is kept up to date and is dynamic, but where you don't react too strongly to short-term trends and you have a plan to account for both the short-term and the long-term. That's our Dollars and Cents segment for this week. You can find this week's Dollars and Cents segment and others by visiting BroganFinancial.com. Do check us out online, BroganFinancial.com. We have a a wealth of resources. You can click on resources for some of our guides. Um, We've also got our podcasts, both uh, the show and our dollars and cents segments. Also, our retirement minutes, which run every week on this station. Uh, You can also check our blog, and and you can subscribe for our weekly e-newsletter, which basically provides you links to various information uh, that we provide so you can make informed and prudent decisions to impact the quality of your life. Today we're visiting with Rachel Card, and she's the Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities. And let, let's dive in a little bit, Rachel, to what you're seeing in terms of investment scans. What are you seeing with current trends in investment fraud and scams around the, well, I'd say around the country, but especially in the state of Tennessee? Yes. Um, so I recently attended a senior investor protection conference, and the big three for adults age 60 and up, um, they're romance scams, delivery imposters, and those investment scams. Now, the investment scams are really broad and diverse. You know, it could be a fake cryptocurrency offer. It could be an unregistered product. It could be an investment that's, you know, guaranteeing really high returns that's not legitimate. You know, they can take many, many shapes and forms. The romance scams, on the other hand, um, they are approaching someone all using the language of love and, you know, convincing them that they're in a legitimate relationship. And after that rapport has been established, then all of a sudden there's this, um, there's this hardship that the other person has come across and, and they need money. Or perhaps it's, you know, it's a relationship that's formed under the guise of it being a romantic relationship, but then they're approaching this person about a guaranteed investment opportunity. There's a high return. It could even be convincing someone to empty their 401k um, and to buy precious metals, which is one that we see a lot in the state of Tennessee. Um, but the joining factor of all of these is that the scammer is preying on the victim by making them believe that they are in a re- romantic relationship. You know, you touched on a couple things, Rachel. I also want to mention the, you know, there's, 
sensational marketing tactics. Um, you know, it seems like I have clients that will ask me about this. I say I hear about it probably on a monthly basis. I'll have an, a client send me an email and say, hey, what do you think of this? Typically, if something is very, very sensational, um, you know, you usually have to look at, hey, what's this person selling? What is what are they trying to get out of this marketing message? Can you can you just comment on that? Because, you you, you know, you're very marketing savvy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, my favorite phrase, and I tell everyone I'm eventually going to have this put on a t-shirt, Jim, but that oh. if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So the more sensational the offer, especially if it's an investment, the greater likelihood that it's not an actual legitimate investment type. You know, if you've got something offering returns of 20 and 30% when the average market return is barely 8%, I would want to dig into that a little bit more and make sure that the person offering that is, you know, registered and, and legitimate and licensed to even sell these investments in the first place. And then I'd want to dig into what that offer is because how and what are they doing to ensure a return of that high when the market is much, much lower. So the more sensational it is, mm, sounds too good to be true. It's probably too good to be true, and it's probably not a legitimate investment type. Well, and another thing is a lot of times is sensational ads are selling some sort of an investment service or newsletter information, and they're trying to, to pay you to subscribe to something. Now, that doesn't mean they're not legitimate necessarily, but yes. we always want to think about, okay, what are they trying to gain from this? Yes, exactly. And in the case of that, they're trying to hook you into joining their uh, delivery list because the more people they can get to sign up, the greater the audience they have to per, you know, to offer these things to. And you're right, it, it may not be necessarily a scam, but you do have to think of it from, okay, what what are they getting out of this? What are they wanting from me? What am I providing to them? And really look at it from that angle. So that's, that's a really great point. Now, you mentioned, um, let's just talk about some red flags because I know, I mean, we, we're kind of all over red flags right now. But, you know, many investors do kind of do, do things on their own. There are day traders. There are people that are, are online daily. There are options traders that people kind of do their own thing that are very well studied. Uh, some that aren't as well studied maybe as they should be to do options. But the bottom line is what are some red flags for people in terms of looking for fraudulent investments specifically? Is it the too good to be true? Or are there other things that they should be on the lookout for? Absolutely. And there's, there's kind of two categories here. There's, there's, common traits that these fraudsters portray, and then there's the actual red flags of the offer and the fraud itself, which I'll get into that. And you're right, it's, at the end of the day, it, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, but guarantees, okay, guarantees are, you know, they're saying, I absolutely can guarantee you this amount of return. We all know, we just heard it in your dollars and cents segment, the market is volatile, the market is changing. There's no such thing as a guaranteed return when it comes to investments and trading. So if there is a promise of a guarantee, and if there is a really high number thrown out, that's a likely indication of a scam. And then you also have the celebrity endorsements and the testimonials, and they're guaranteeing that this product is a great one 
to invest in. And those, we know, can be easily faked. Um, there's unregistered products. There's unregistered advisors. Um, there's free money. You know, we heard from our parents and our grandparents, there's no such thing as a free ride and there's no such thing as a free lunch. So if there is a free money promise attached to this offer, it's likely fake. If the person who is approaching you is very pushy or they're offering little to no explanation and it's a really aggressive sales pitch or they make you feel um, belittled for asking more information about it, that's not somebody that you want to do business with and it's probably not a legitimate form of business. And all of these just go into that category. If it's too good to be true, probably is. Well, I love what you said there about how the person handles themselves. Are they trying to help you meet your goals or are they trying to push a product or a service? Can you talk about, I mean, I think one thing that's become more and more prevalent that, that more and more of the pub, public investors are aware of now is the word fiduciary. And it's becoming very, very important. Now, just because somebody says they're a fiduciary doesn't mean they're necessarily protecting your best interests. But can you talk a little bit your perspective of that word and the regulation around that word? Yeah, so the regulation around that word is basically saying you are going to put your client's best interest at heart, whether it's you know managing that portfolio or trying to make them as much return as possible with that investment. A fiduciary professional is somebody who is going to have your best interest they're working for you, the client. They are not working for themselves and how much return that they can make or how much of a large percentage of money that they can make off of you. They have a legal obligation, but that legal obligation is kind of, you know, it's, it's a very broad definition and I don't want to get too into the weeds and details, but, you know, that. The key definition of fiduciary is you want to find that person that has that legal obligation that's going to put you and your interests first, not just focused on making themselves money. And it kind of goes back to what we talked about before is, you know, you want to interview folks that you're going to be dealing with. If you have somebody that you want to manage your investment portfolio, you know, come with a list of questions and, and, you know, say, hey, how do you operate? What does your day-to-day -day look like? You know, what are some other portfolios that you've managed and some past successes that you've had? And you should be able to weed out who you feel is going to work really hard for you and your money and who you feel maybe just might be in it to make some cash for themselves. And it also goes into doing that background check that we mentioned. You know, do you have any open customer complaints? You know, you want to do your research and you want to find that person that's going to have your best interest in mind. You mentioned broker check is a good source online Rachel, to find out information about somebody in the securities industry. Um, and then we've also mentioned the Better Business Bureau. Uh, people also, I guess, can go to sec.gov. They can go to FINRA. Any other resources you can mention that people can look to see if there have been complaints or regulations against someone or a firm? That's the best one because, again, if they're a registered um, firm or registered individual, there are those rules and regulations that they have to adhere to. And so that's going to be the best tracker for that information. And if you can't find them, that means that they are not 
register, they're not in that system. And so um, we have broker check also listed at our website, and that's tn.gov slash security. We're visiting with Rachel Cardin. She's Director of Investor Education for Tennessee Department of Securities. When we come back, I do want to touch briefly before the end of the show, Rachel, on identity theft. Uh, Of course, it's such a huge issue that leads to all kinds of fraud. I mentioned the stealing of Social Security identity earlier in our first segment is something to really watch out for with imposters. So uh, we'll get a little bit into that with Rachel and what you need to be looking out for. So stay with us as you listen to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thank you for tuning in to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're visiting with Rachel Cardin. She is Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities. We thank her so much for taking time out of her busy schedule. According to the FBI, Rachel, more than 50,000 cases of identity theft are reported each year in the United States, and over 50,000 personal data breaches occur every year. What are some tips to protect ourselves against identity theft? Oh, identity theft. I actually just received a letter in the mail last week about my debit card potentially being compromised in a data breach. So it's happening every day, unfortunately, to a whole bunch of us. And it really comes down to um, your online presence and making sure that you're monitoring what information you have out there online and you're monitoring your credit reports. You know, these fraudsters, either it's social engineering, dumpster diving, fake or phishing emails, they're using that information to steal your money and your investments. And I highly recommend the Federal Trade Commission's website for additional resources on identity theft. Um, That's consumer.ftc.gov. They have lots and lots of fantastic articles about protecting um, against it, and there's different types of it. But... Really, if it was a data breach, you want to immediately change your passwords on your online accounts. Perhaps you want to consider freezing your credit report. Um, you want to order new debit or credit cards with different numbers. If it was identity theft, which is way more in depth, they're posing as you to open lending in your name. Um, you want to work with those credit bureaus to dispute any new lending charges or banking accounts that have been opened in your name. You can check those credit reports regularly um, and freely. There are a bunch of different websites and apps out there that claim that they can monitor it for you and they're going to charge you a fee. Just know that you don't have to do that. You don't have to pay that fee and that's service, you can do that yourself at annualcreditreport.com. Now, there's the three nationwide credit bureaus, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion, um, but it's a centralized website and a number and mailing address, and that can all be found at annualcreditreport.com. And if you, I'll just kind of piggyback on that, if you notify one of the credit bureaus of a fraud alert, they do notify the other two. Uh, So there's a lot of resources online to be able to. I just have about just 30 or 40 seconds, Rachel. How common is it for a child's identity to be stolen? 
especially if they have no credit accounts or very little online access? You know, it is common, but it all depends on how much information they can get a hold of. If they can have name and address, sometimes that's enough for folks to get a start. Um, it's not as common as, as adults who have that greater online presence and more online accounts to take from, but it is possible. So you want to keep that in mind as well. Rachel, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, it's meant a lot, and uh, I know you've brought in a lot. You've brought a lot of great information to our listeners to help secure themselves and be aware of fraud and scams and identity thefts. So thank you so much. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. That's Rachel Cardin. She's Director of Investor Education for the Tennessee Department of Securities. Today we've talked about protecting your stuff, your identity, protecting your, your money, protecting yourself against fraud and scammers, because greater security provides for more living so you can live the best years of your life your way. Many thanks to Riley for engineering the show. Thank you to Jill for helping produce the show. We'll see you next week. Have a very blessed weekend. This is More Living with Jim Brogan, only on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.